And if you would, please turn with me in your copy of the Word of God to the book of Philippians. Let's pick up the reading in verse 7. We'll read down to verse 16. This is the Word of God. Please take heed how you hear. But whatever gain I had, you remember Paul's been speaking about his remarkable achievements in the things of God before he met Jesus. He was the most religious person. He said, if anyone thinks they could work their way to heaven, it was me, Paul said. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, being like Him in His death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead, that these wanting to feel the power, the full power of the cross of Christ and Easter morning here and now. Not that I've already attained this process, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own now. He wants to feel the full resurrection power of Christ because Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God endures forever. Well, we live, it has been remarked, as the cool generation who are addicted to distraction. Sam Fuchs and Autumn Gray, two online artists who take pictures and shrink them down and put them together and make much bigger pictures of things, a collage. They comment on our generation saying, I feel like distraction has a big part to do with our generation's story. I wonder what sort of effect it will have on us in 10 years. But it doesn't seem like it's trending toward a more productive future for us. Everyone's sort of mentally obese, Fuchs comments. We're overloaded with images. I feel like distraction has a big part to do with our generation's story. We will not be a great generation, Autumn Gray said. We're too self-absorbed, spending most of our time on frivolous things like posting photos of ourselves. We're just the cool kids. We'll be the cool generation. Where do these... Distractions come from, well, they come 
from this world and also from the virtual world. Like spam email. In 2006, and I don't think the problem's got any less, 183 billion spam emails were sent in America every day. 183 billion. May the fleas of a thousand camels infest their armpits. <laughs> a collective total it's estimated that American workers spent 22.9 million hours a day deleting these emails. How do you get any work done? I think most of them come to my, my inbox, actually, but that's nonetheless. Then you've got apps like TikTok. Now, I don't have TikTok, and I don't recommend you having it either unless you want the Chinese Communist Party to have full access to your GPS location and all of your internet passwords and so forth and so on. But TikTok users, for those of you who are too old for TikTok, which means anyone over 35, um, it's an app that plays these short videos, right? But it's feeding into the attention span of young people. 50% of TikTok users said that if a video lasts longer than 60 seconds, they find it stressful. 60 seconds. A third of the users actually play the videos a double time. Double time. One TikTok user who um, admitted to watching these videos at double speed said, it's not because I don't have time. It's because I can't concentrate. I can't concentrate. If they go at normal speed, it's boring. So they have to play them at double speed to get not just through it faster, but to, to get through it and not be bored. Well, how on earth are you going to be stimulated in the real life whenever reality goes on around you at normal speed? And it's not just our young people playing video games. Recently, two LAPD officers were fired, Louis Luzanzo and Eric Mitchell. And the reason they were fired was because they, were, they took 20 minutes to, to respond to an armed robbery in progress. And the reason they took 20 minutes to respond to an armed robbery in progress was not that they were dealing with more ro armed robberies elsewhere, but because they were playing video games on their phones, chasing virtual monsters around the streets of Los Angeles. One of them was heard saying during these 20 minutes, a Snorlax, no idea what a Snorlax is, but a Snorlax just popped up on 46th and Limart, which is somewhere, I think, in um, Los Angeles. <laughs> Who cares? There's a Snorlax at this street. There's an armed robbery somewhere else, and they ought to have been there dealing with it. And if an armed robbery isn't stimulating enough for you, what on earth is going to stimulate and scratch that itch? In an, in an article entitled Addicted to Distraction in the New York Times, Tony Schwartz said, the brain's craving for novelty, constant stimulation, and immediate gratification creates something called a compulsion loop. It's when you're flicking through the Facebook page or the news or whatever, and there's always something new just over the next page to look at something else, and you find yourself in this compulsion loop, just being fed little flashes of dopamine in your brain that can keep you doing that kind of thing for hours. Well, in our text this morning, Paul is continuing his message to us on Christian growth, and he's saying to you, distraction isn't just a threat to your life in this world. 
It's a threat to your soul, and you must learn to deal with distraction if you want to experience the power of God growing you up in your spirituality and in your experience of Christ. Now, last week, if you can remember that long ago, um, we were preaching on spiritual growth, and we had the first of three points. And the first point was, if you want to grow spiritually, you must build on the right foundation, which is Christ. You've got to be able to reach back through time and space and lay hold by faith on the death of Christ on Good Friday and the resurrection of Christ on Easter Sunday. And as you do lay hold of Jesus, His death kills your sin. It's hold upon you. It's bondage. And in that strength, you reckon yourself dead to sin. You no longer have to sin. You're now um, posse non pecare, able not to sin because of the grace of God and the death of Christ. And also, you're able to put on the Lord Jesus Christ by His resurrection power, that same power that raised Him to heaven. He exists there like a, a, a great, infinite, bottomless, shoreless vat of eternal life and the water of life. And all that water, like a hydroelectric dam, is up there waiting to be unleashed into your soul, giving you fresh strength as you lay hold of the power of Easter morning. We build on the right foundation. Well, this week, Paul says you've got to learn to, be, to avoid distraction. You've got to learn to forget what lies behind and focus on what lies ahead, eternity. Foundation, forget, and focus. Those are the three points. So, let's continue the sermon this morning. As God helps us, we must forget what lies behind. And Paul says in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, the full maturity necessary as a Christian. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We forget what lies behind. Now, what kind of things should we forget? Well, we should forget our past sins, our past failures, our past mistakes. It's very difficult um, to run looking over your shoulder, right? Think of a hurdle race. Eric and I, we used to do the steeplechase many years ago, and those hurdles, when you hit them, you didn't knock them down, they knocked you down, right? But the sprinters, when they're sprinting 110 meters or the 400-meter hurdles, they have much more flimsy hurdles, girly boys. Um, and if you knock them down, they'll fall over, but they'll slow you down, right? Sorry if you're a hurdler. Forgive me, I'm joking. But um, you need the manly hurdles of the steeplechase, is what I'm saying. But um, those hurdles, you hit them and they fall over, and it slows you down just a little bit. And if you, you see something, somebody getting up, and occasionally, even in the Olympic final, you'll watch somebody knock every single hurdle down, and it's like it's a, it's a triumph of... of um, perseverance, they finish the race, but I've seen them do that before. And what happens is you knock one hurdle down, and, and you're, you're always in your mind's eye, one hurdle behind yourself, thinking about the last hurdle you knock down. And then that is not a good foundation to meet the next hurdle you must clear. And it's exactly like that in your Christian life. Um, 
if you're, if you're, it, it's very difficult to run forward looking over your shoulder, thinking about your past mistakes, your past failures, opportunities that slipped you by, mistakes you made, and sins you have committed. And I see so many Christians who are like that. They, their minds are locked in the past and their previous sins in the past, defining their present misery in the moment. Now, of course, you never really forget our past sins. We can't do that until we have Alzheimer's disease, God forbid. But what Paul means is we must not allow them to absorb our attention or impede our progress. That's somebody else's language, but it's helpful. They mustn't absorb our attention or impede our progress. How do you do that? How do you run forward without looking over your shoulder? Well, you take your past failures, your past mistakes, your past sins to God and to the God of the gospel. Turn back in your Bibles a second to Micah chapter 7 and verse 18. And of course, you, you remember this. We said this before in an assurance of pardon, I think. But Micah or Micha in Hebrew um, is Mika'ah. And that's who is like Yahweh. Me is who, and Kah is like, and Yah is Yahweh. And so. Micah's name has a meaning, who is like Yahweh. And through his life, evidently, he spent some time thinking about the meaning of his name. Um, like Christopher, which is my middle name, Christopheros in the Greek is Christ-bearer. never knew that until fairly recently. never occurred to me. Um, but names have meaning, right? Um, and Micah who is like Yahweh. And Mike has thought about that. And here's one of his meditations upon his name. Who is like you, a God who pardons iniquity? He pardons the hidden crookedness of the heart and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession. It's incredible. He passes over. It's the Passover word from Exodus, passing over. He passes over not just our accidental sins that we didn't mean to do. He passes over your deliberate sins that you did on purpose when you defied Him and said, who is a God like Yahweh that I should obey Him? We lifted, we lifted our fist and did what we knew was wrong, an act of presumptuous wickedness, and the God of heaven is willing to pass over it. But that word pass over is a word with history. He passes over us. It's, it's, the, it's the angel of death swooping down like an A-10 warthog on a, a strafing run. And it's, he's coming down upon us. We deserve the full um, power of that 30-millimeter cannon tearing us to pieces forever. And as he's coming down, the, the forward air controller says to him, no, we have a different target just over the hill. And he swoops down over us, crests the hill, and the new target comes into vision. It's the target of God's own Son, who deserves only God's blessing. And the angel of death says, you want me to destroy him? And God says, yes. 
opened fire with what weapons? All of them. And He unleashes it all upon Jesus, who deserves only God's blessing. And He passes over you only because of His resolve to pass on to Him and destroy Him. And He did that. And it, it staggers Micah. He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in unchanging love. It's the prodigal son's father. And that lad had cursed the father, literally. He basically said, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. Give me the money now. A, a, a greater act of disrespect you could not imagine or calculate. And he walks off with his father's money and goes off and spends it all on a horse. And the father was angry about that. But it didn't stop him loving his son. And every day the old man stood at the door and opened the door and looked out across the, the path to the fence and the gate to the home and beyond that into, along the meadows and over the meadows and the hills as far as the eye could see to the furthest distance of the path. And every day that old man went out and looked and wondered, maybe today will be the day when my son comes back. And then every day it never happened, and tomorrow was the next day, and the next day, and then one day tomorrow was today, and the old man opens the door, and there at the very limit, cresting the hill, is a, is a, is a, is a stick figure with his head bowed and his heart broken, and with the taste of pig food on his breath. And he's coming down the hill, and the old man says, oh, that's my son. I recognize that walk anywhere. And he was angry, yes, but he didn't delight in anger. He delighted in unchanging love. And out the old man ran across the front paddock and across the pasture and down the path, and he embraces the son, delighting in unchanging love, having compassion on him again, treading iniquities underfoot, God casts all our sins into the depths of the sea, Micah says. Not the shoreline, not out a hundred yards from the shore in the shallows that are exposed with every tide going out and coming back in again, but out in the depths, the Mariana Trench, 31,064 feet, whatever it is, as, as far deep down in the water as the planes fly high above in the heavens. 30,000 feet. And that's where God throws it all. That's where Christ, the scapegoat, has taken it all. Your guilt is gone, Christian. Your shame is gone. The sins are gone. The iniquities are gone. The transgressions are gone. Their judgment is gone. And you think, but their consequences remain. And for some of you, the consequences are very deep painful consequences. David knew a thing or two about that himself. But even those consequences, Bathsheba and Uriah, and through that union comes Solomon and Jesus. Even our mistakes, the consequences are all wrapped up in the promises of the gospel. Even these things shall work together for your good. And so God says, don't, don't, don't spend your life looking back over your shoulder at your old success, at your old sins, and think, 
Oh, it's no run for, forget what lies behind. Don't let it distract you, confuse you, depress you, discourage you. Take them to Jesus, take them to the cross, lay hold of Christ, forgetting what lies behind. But you should also forget about your successes. They can be equally bad. Because they will incline you to think a little too much of yourself and not enough of Jesus. Look at my family that I've built, these fine children I've raised. They aren't part of the riffraff out in the public school system of America. You might say to yourself, these children obey me. They aren't beating one another up. They aren't knocking their teachers to the ground like that awful thing that happened this, this week. A teacher almost killed by a student, and all she did was take away his Nintendo Switch, and he, he was six foot six, 270 pounds, almost beat her to death. It's an incredible picture, terrible. And the chaos in our public schools, and you know, oh, no, I've, I've, my children are, are well-disciplined, well-trained, well-educated. My home is, I am Lord of my home. I rule my home well. And I keep the Sabbath, and I thank you, Lord. Like, I'm not, I'm not like other men, Sabbath breakers. I don't use pornography like these other men, and you can think too much of yourself. And the more you think like that, the more you're putting a stress on something you have done, and you're thinking about your righteousness and how great you are. And you cannot do that without thinking less and less and less and less and less and less and less of Jesus Christ. Before you know it, you'll be thinking nothing of Christ and everything of yourself, and it'll trip you up and you'll fall flat on your face as if somehow your goodness came from yourself and your good day somehow put God in your debt as if He owed you something. God owes you nothing. Even your successes are gifts from His grace and, and mercy. You know, we forget our successes, lest they hinder us. Because our successes, you know, it's alarming when you think about them. Um, <laughs> because it distracts you, as that car alarm was distracting me. But <laughs> because the race isn't finished till it's finished. Um, You've got to finish it. You might run 25 miles of the marathon or 26 miles, but you've got those 0.2 left to finish it. And no matter how much you've attained, no matter how far you've gone, the race isn't over till it's over. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, speaking to these young Christians, finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received instruction from us as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. You are walking. You are pleasing God. Paul doesn't say, take, sit back and take a breather. Excel still more. Later in the chapter, verse 9, he says, now, as to the love of the brethren, we have no need, or you have no need for anyone to write to you. No need. You don't need me to tell you to love one another, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. All the brethren, all Macedonia. 
Could, could God say to you, you, thus we love all the brethren who are in all Guilford County or North Carolina? But he could say that to these people. And yet Paul says, but we urge you, brethren, focus on something else. <laughs> you know, you, you've mastered the love thing. Let's focus on something else. No, he says, we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Forget about your past successes. In a very real sense, you can do better. Press on. John Chrysostom of Damascus, the fourth century preacher, said this, Thus too we should act. We should forget our successes and throw them behind us, for the runner reckons not up the runner reckons not how up for the runner reckons not up how many circuits he has finished but how many circuits he hath left we too should reckon up not how far we are advanced in virtue but how much remains for us for what doth that which is finished profit us when that which is deficient is not yet complete that's Paul's attitude. And there was the old golden mouth, Chrysostom, the great preacher of the fourth century. So forget what lies behind, Christian. Forget what lies behind your, your sins and your successes. You build on the foundation of Jesus, and you forget what lies behind. And you focus on eternity. Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The one thing I do, Paul says. To press on means to decisively and energetically move toward some object. Decisively energetically pressing on to the objective. A number of things strike me about Paul's testimony here. First of all, it's simplicity. One thing I do. Paul is not a man of many things. He's a man of one thing. What's the one thing in your life that captures your attention that lights your candle. We're all monotheists in heart. We're looking for something so big and so good, so long-lasting, that it will satisfy us forever. What's the one thing? What's the one thing? That captures you. What gets you out of bed in the morning? Where do you look for ultimate satisfaction? Your spouse? Your wife? Your husband? Your children? Their successes? You're going to spend your whole life, and, and children are wonderful. They're, they're huge, should be a huge focus of our lives. But will you focus your attention on children who will one day rise, grow up, and forget to call you? <laughs> except maybe once a month, uh, they're going to give you that final satisfaction as you live very carelessly through their life. Maybe it's 
having fun, experiencing pleasure, escaping boredom, making money to spend. Nobody really worships money. It's just a tool to buy your treasure. It just depends what your treasure is. If I offered you a billion dollars, young people, this morning, would that, light your, would that make you happy? Let's say I offered you a billion dollars, right? There's a catch, though, right? There's a catch. You have to sign, initial every bill. Just initial every bill. If, if, you, if, I, if I offered you that right now, a billion dollars, all you have to do is initial every bill. Would you take me up on the offer? <laughs> yes. A billion dollars, yes. Okay. And um, Before you jump at that too quickly, you might want to consider just how long that would take you. If you were a very fast initialer, let's say you could average one second per signature, right? And you don't want to spend your entire life doing it, like 24 hours a day, because be, you've got to sleep and go to the restroom and eat and so forth. But, you know, because if, like if you spent every waking moment and never slept signing bills, it would only take you 31.7 years to sign them all. You don't want to do that. So let's just spend eight hours a day doing it, right, and have the rest of the day for yourself. It's going to take you 95 years, 95.1 years to be exact, to sign initial a billion dollars. You want to spend your life doing that? What's the one thing in your life that captivates you, that motivates you, that drives you on. The simplicity. And also the activity. Paul is pressing on for the goal of the upward the prize. Oh, sorry, he's pressing on for the goal of the upward prize of God in Christ Jesus. He's pressing on. He's not just waiting for it to happen. Paul isn't just waiting for Christ to return. He's not waiting to die and then go to God. He's running toward it. He's pressing on. It's an active thing. If you turn forward in your Bibles a second, um, in Second Peter 3, It seems so long coming, eternity. And people are scoffing in Peter's day, and that was then. How much more now? Verse 4, they will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago when the earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So he's saying, people in Noah's day had no idea the flood was coming until it was coming. And it's never too late until it's too late, like when you pull you know, the elastic band to fart your sister, boys which you shouldn't do. I'm not encouraging you, but you do it, right? So you're pulling it back, and your mum says, careful, you'll get that in your eye. When it flicks off your thumb, it's too late to do anything about it. Or when the thing breaks, 
it's going back into your eye, and you don't know you've stretched that thing too far until you really have, then it's too late. And that's Peter's point. You don't know you've gone too far, and you, you, people are just living their life, forgetting about eternity, and suddenly the flood came and took them all away. And exactly the same thing is happening now as this world is being stretched and God's patience is being stretched and it's going to run out. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, some kind slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved? and the heavenly bodies will, be, will melt as they burn. We don't just wait, we hasten. Think about that. This is uh, Paul David Tripp in his book, Do You Believe?, talking about this very passage. Peter has just said that everything around us, think about this, all those things that locate and orient us all of the physical things that occupy and entertain us, every single thing in this created world will be burned up. Look around right now. Everything that you are looking at will be gone. None of it is permanent. It'll all evaporate in the searing heat of a final display of the glory of God's power. Let this sink in. It will all, every bit of it, be gone forever. Every building, every mountain, every stream, every lush garden, every animal, every monument, every tree, every limestone cliff, every sea creature, every sandy shore, every wardrobe of fine clothes, every car, every highway, every place of solace or amusement, yes, every physical thing will be burned up. It's hard to find a more stunning statement in all of Scripture. None of the things we tend to think will always be there are permanent. This physical world is not ultimate. God is ultimate, and He will bring all these things to a final and spectacular end. So, the simplicity of Paul's perspective, the accuracy of it, or the um, activity of it, and the accuracy of it, are you going to spend your life, is the one thing for you going to be something that burns up and is gone, or something that's destined to last forever? Are you going to live for the passing moment or the lasting eternity? Those are the two choices. Are you going to live for things beneath the heavens, which the Kaholit says are meaningless, like vanity, a, a will-o'-the-wisp, a smoke bubble that little boys chase, and they get their hand on it, and it bursts and they're waiting for the next soap bubble to chase. But they're never substantial. They're full of these beautiful colors and rainbows of the oil in the, in the membrane, but it bursts. And everything in this world, whatever you chase, it bursts. Which is why the, the movie stars and the pop stars, so many of them turn to alcohol and drugs because 
It's just all just a little bit boring. It, the alcohol and drugs makes the world go at double speed, like the TikTok video, because normal speed, even when it's pop star normal speed, just gets a little bit boring. Once you reach the top, you ain't got no place left to go except down. Are you living for eternity? Or are you living for time? Are you living for things that are destined to burn up? Are things that are destined to last forever? Are you living for yourself? Are you living for the glory of Jesus Christ and the upward call of God? It's amazing, you know, how we can be distracted. I was reminded of that recently. My number two son has just finished, or is finishing, his driver's education classes. Streets of North Carolina beware. Um, but, um, and in that course of that, they watched a video that I'd seen before, um, and it's a distraction video, and there's these, there's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a high-rise parking lot, and in the middle of the lot, kind of under the concrete sandwich, there are two basketball teams, a team dressed all in white, team dressed all in black, and they've got two balls, and the, the players are all mixed up, and the black team are passing amongst the black team, and the white team are passing among the white team, and the test for your focus is how many passes do the white team make? you think, I got this. So you, you banish your ADD, and you focus on the screen, and the white team, the balls are passing. It's hard, because there's two teams passing two balls, so it's like, a, so you've got to really focus, and you're counting, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eight. and it's like, at the end, it's like, whew, the answer is 23, and you go, yes. And then it says, but did you notice the moonwalking bear? And you're thinking, What? And it kind of scrubs back through the video, and right enough, in the middle of this, all that basketball chaos, there's a bear doing kind of the moonwalk <laughs> right into the middle of the people playing. He stops, middle of the camera, and goes, and then he walks off stage right. And you're so focused on the white things, you don't see any of the black players, and you don't even see a moonwalking bear, for crying out loud, walking into the middle of the screen. And that's just like you and me. We're focused on all the wrong things, all the things down here, and we don't notice the coming of eternity that's moonwalking toward us at a frightening speed. And we live for all of the things that don't really matter. Are you living for all of the things that don't really matter? I can be like that. God help me, I can be like that. And the glory of God is at stake. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And one of the things you should do every Lord's Day, one of the things we do every time you open your Bible and read it at home, which is young people, which is why you should be reading your Bibles every day. You open your Bible, you pray, Lord, 
Open my eyes and help me see through the deceitful permanence of passing things. Everything down here, it looks so permanent, but it's, a, a, it's permanent, it's only apparent. It's a deceitful thing. It's not true. Help me to see the deceitful permanence of passing things. Remember when we get to heaven and Lewis's great divorce, we'll stop here. There's that amazing scene when the people from hell get to go to heaven for a few weeks. I know it's not real, but it's helpful. If you're too orthodox for Lewis, there's a problem, because um, you'll rob yourself of just such insight. But nonetheless, it was a time I was like that, actually, but we're not going there now. But um, So you, they, they go to hell, and when they get to hell, suddenly they become like oily stains upon the air of heaven, like ghosts. They're so they're see-through and transient, and even the grass of heaven feels like titanium spikes, not because it is so solid, but because they are not. You become like what you worship. If you worship the deceitful transients of permanent things, you'll become like them, a stain in the air with no real substance, as you become like what you've worshipped all of the things that don't really matter and that have no real substance. Or Jesus says, you can run through those things and look to me, and you can come to me, and I will give you an eye for a greater glory, that which is solid and that which is lasting and that which will not fail you, and that which is and, and, and as you pursue it, you'll become like it, solid and substantial and alive in Christ. As you feel the power of Easter morning giving you life and the power of Good Friday killing your sins in the great business of growing. So build on the right foundation. Forget what lies behind and focus on eternity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word, its truth and its power, and how we need Your Holy Spirit, O God, how I need Your Holy Spirit. We so get distracted, O God, my stupid things. If that can happen to me, and I'm in eternal realities all the time, how much more my congregation who spend so much of their time out in the world where nature seems like the whole show. Help us, O God, lest we live lives that are tales told by an idiot full of bluster and stuff that signify nothing. We offer these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.